In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Ryder. It's always game day in Cleveland, as you heard, but it's kind of a sad edition today as we reflect back on the life of Jim Brown, one of the greatest football players of all time and a player that uh, definitely provides passion and pride for Cleveland Browns fans. I'm Andy Baskin. He's Daryl Ryder, as the big voice said. And uh, Daryl, it's been uh, you know a little bit around a week now uh, since Jim passed, uh, just your thoughts. Cause we really haven't had a chance to talk about this here. Yeah. Um, you know, he was 87 years old. Um, but just one of the most dynamic figures I think that I've ever met. Um, he commanded respect when, whether he walked into a room, whether he was riding around the practice fields in Bria in a golf cart, like, I mean, he just the, he just had a presence about him uh, of greatness. And um, just remembering over the years, all the, the Browns players that got to meet Jim, got to speak with him. Um, you know, uh, it's, you know, a lot of today's players don't have – an honest understanding of the history of the game, but they all know Jim Brown. They all know who he is. They all know what he accomplished uh, as, as a player. Uh, he is, uh, as the Haslam said, the reason why there are so many Browns fans, not just here in Cleveland, but nationwide worldwide. When you think of the Cleveland Browns, you know, one of the first names you think of is Jim Brown. So, uh, obviously, uh, you know, thoughts, prayers, condolences uh, to his uh, lovely wife, Monique, uh, and uh, the entire Brown family. Um, but, yeah, he, he is, um, I would say, one of a kind in many, many ways. You know, I was lucky enough over you know, last decade or so uh, to MC the Browns Legends dinner, and Jim was at all those, and I always had a chance to talk to him uh, at all those events. And I just even as a young reporter in Columbus coming up to Cleveland, um, right when the team came back uh, after 1999, um, and you know, I, I I'll be dead honest, I was he's one of the few guys that uh, scared the death out of me when I first met him, and I had to sit down. I remember doing a sit down with him. And, you know, and here I was, there were only two players that I've ever really like sat down with and had the opportunity to to just really do an interview with somebody who I just, in my mind, was a legend, uh, was a uh, person that defined the game at times and and changed the game. And, you know, a Jim to me uh, will be that guy. He'll always be the number one guy. Uh, Although I did have a chance to talk to Wayne Gretzky once, but um, the, the relationship, I think, you know, to the fact that, you know, I, that I think Jim knew who I was, you know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't just a, Hey, Mr. Brown, how are you? It was hi, Andy, how are you? And whether he was just reading my name tag or credential or not, at least he gave me, uh, that tiny bit of respect to even look at my name tag and say my name when, <laughs> when I had the opportunity to see him, he, uh, was an imposing figure. And I go back and I think about that first interview that I ever did with him. And, and Daryl, you'll 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 understand this one. Like, how many times have you walked into an interview and you knew you were going to do the interview, 
And but you just think you don't want to tell anybody what the questions is are because you want a genuine, honest answer without any really time to think about it. Right. <clears throat> and I remember talking to Jim Brown for the very first time. We had two chairs set up in Berea on the practice field. And I remember saying to him, uh, hi, Mr. Brown. My name is Mr. An uh, my name is Andy Baskin. And he was like and he just looked me straight in the eye and he goes. Andy. What questions are you asking me? And I was like, oh, man, I got to give away all my questions here, right? Because I'm not walking down any weird roads. And I, you know, I remember saying to him, I'm like, you know, they're all football questions. They're all history questions. And I might touch, if we have time, I want to touch on Hollywood. And I kind of made it uh, my – it was an inside joke to me, I think, more than anything. But I always wanted to ask him about Hollywood because of the Dirty Dozen, because of all of the uh, the, the fact that, you know, he retired from football to go be in movies – when no one wanted him to retire. And, you know, I, I still like, I don't know why Art Modell couldn't work with him to say, hey, you know, go do some movies and come back and join us a little bit later in the season. And I, I will always wonder, you know, for a guy that averaged 100 yards per game when he touched on the touched the field, how good he would have been if he would have played more years. Um, and to me, you know, Jim Brown is the epitome of pride in a football team because, you know, it, and I wrote about this this week, and uh, and I have a column in the Jewish News, but um, in the Cleveland Jewish News, that you know, growing up in Northeast Ohio, and especially since '99, we've struggled so much with winning that Jim gave us this sense of pride that when you were in an argument with somebody else, you always had the ace in the hole, and that ace was saying, "Well, we had the greatest running back of all time in Jim Brown." And I like I can remember in college arguing with Steelers fans who would sit there and talk about, you know, the steel curtain and all the Super Bowl rings. And I'm like, yeah, but we had the greatest of all time. And to me, Jim always gave us that sense of pride. And I I just um I, I just think he was really a special person. Um and, and that's not just football. There, I mean, the social issues and all those things that go along with Jim, and I know we'll have time to talk about it throughout this podcast, but um he was a man that made a statement, wasn't scared to make a statement, believed in what he believed in, and his thoughts on racism and civil rights and 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 his ability to want to stand up for what he thought was right um, always made him stand out above and beyond being a football player. Yeah, um, I thought that LeBron James had uh, quite the tribute that he posted uh, on social media and talking about how Jim Brown's example of using his platform to fight for what he believed in, in the realm of, you know, civil rights um, and uh, the underserved communities uh, and the responsibility that comes with being a professional athlete that is a superstar that yes, there's fame and fortune, but there is responsibility to lead as well, uh, to to better your community uh, and make things better. And you know, Jim Brown really helped, you know, pave the way for that. And and let's not forget that Jim Brown still uh, he played in an era where integration was still happening in this country. Um, and, um, not the easiest time to be 
uh, an African-American athlete, right? I mean, he because he was an African-American, he couldn't play for the Washington Redskins franchise because they, they were not going to have a, uh, a, a black player on their team. Um, and uh, I forget the specifics of the quote, but uh, at the time, uh, someone from the Washington Post, you know, very tongue in cheek, but very poignant, you know, mentioned that, you know, by birth, Jim Brown was not able to uh, is not eligible to play for the Washington Redskins yet. Yesterday, he integrated their end zone three diff- on three separate occasions. <laughs> and I, and I, I thought that that was uh, such a poignant statement to make. Right. So, um, I, I his impact uh, through that time, right? Uh, remember the summit that he had here in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, with uh, uh, Luau Cinder, you know, aka Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, and Muhammad Ali, and some of the other prominent uh, African American athletes. Um, in protest of the Vietnam War. Uh, Just another example of him using his notoriety, his platform uh, to express his concern and his point of view. Um, And it takes a lot to do that, you know, when you are in an era where there are people actively fighting against your right to be able to use the same water fountain or go to the same school or sit in the same area or ride the same, pu- you know, the same public bus and things like that. I mean, that un- is an unfortunate part of the American story, but it is part of the American story. And, and Jim Brown was, uh, you know, uh, a, similar to what Jackie Robinson met for major league baseball i kind of feel like jim brown almost meant that in some ways to the you know to the nfl and but yeah it's interesting that you bring that and steve king uh has something on the browns website that my dad had talked to me a lot about when i was a kid because i never once thought of you know in our lifetimes, you know, integration in football was just, I just never want, or baseball, I'll be honest right. with you. Jackie Robinson was playing before I was born. So I never once thought about um, what it would be like, you know, it, going to the Negro League Baseball Hall of Fame in in uh, Kansas City, you know, made me realize uh, of the struggles of the players that were here before my lifetime. And I'm glad that that exists because I, if I wouldn't have known that, then I, you know, I, I've always thought, in my mind, especially growing up uh, in a place like Cleveland Heights, where you know I I was blessed because I never once thought twice about the color of skin of my teammate on my football or basketball team or um, or my hockey teams or any of this. I just never once thought about it because to me nothing was unusual. And when you have the opportunity to go to the Negro League Hall of Fame in Kansas City or think about some of those things, um, uh, it makes you realize the struggles that that some players had as minorities to try to play game. And it's, it's interesting that we keep that history alive so that we know that we never want to turn back. We have plenty more to come on this. I want to talk about the Steve King article here in a second. So let's do that. It's always game day in Cleveland. If you like what you're listening to subscribe to the podcast. Mobile sports betting is finally legal in Ohio and BetQL is here to help you make the most informed bets possible. See all of today's best bets by heading to BetQL.com or 
downloading the BetQL app and claim your free three-day trial today. Head to BetQL.com slash news slash 923thefan for exclusive sportsbook offers. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. We're celebrating the life of Jim Brown. Uh, simply put, the greatest, as far as I'm concerned, uh, when it comes to playing the game of football. So we were talking about, there's an article on clevelandbrowns.com from Steve King, who's probably, you know, Daryl, one of the most respected writers and uh, long-established writers when it comes to the Cleveland Browns. And uh, team and historian. He, and team historian, yeah. And so, um, you know, there was a, I'm trying to remember, he talked about, you talked about Jackie Robinson, and, you know, he talks about, and, and, like, we don't even think about it because, you know, Bill Willis and Marion Motley, those guys were there for the Browns in 46. And, you know, when they came through, you know, that was well before, or at least six months before, I should say, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball. And, you know, football had already had African-Americans playing, you know, as early as the 30s. It's just there was, like, a gap there between the 30s and 40s to where we started talking about Marion Motley and we started talking about Bill Willis. And then, you know, and Jim Brown, you know, was a man that, that stood by his convictions. And I, I always thought it was interesting. He had said this. Um, I think he said it on Charlie Rose and he had alluded to it with me. And he, he talked about how civil rights, you know, in the modern day were not like civil rights when he was playing. And it, his point was, that civil rights are not about color of skin anymore. They're about economics. And it's about the haves and the have-nots. Um, and if you go back and listen to anything that Jim had said about racism in this country and why things are the way they are, and it's, you know, it, I think for some people, it's the fear of not having anymore. And it's the fear of giving up what you have or watching someone else pass you by in business or in life. Um, uh, there's a really, really interesting article and I, I alluded to it, This uh, that'll be coming out this week in the Cleveland Jewish News where, where Jim talks about uh, um, where Jim talks about how African Americans should look at, at the struggles of the Jewish people throughout history to kind of get a, a reflection of where um, uh, where you could get a roadmap for success um, and it's in, it's in this week's Cleveland Jewish News. It's a reprint of an article from a couple of years ago. But Jim's theory on that is so willing. I mean, it, when you look at it and you listen to it and, you know, it, it, it's just it's so much more than just color of skin when he tries to break down not only, you know, the problems of racism, but how to try to break through. Like Jim has had an answer for trying to bring equality to people and that i always found that fascinating that you know we hear people talk about it all the time but what's the answer how do we get there how do we get to the next point um and jim had an answer and i i always respected him not only for having an answer for that but for, for being willing to speak his mind and say what he wanted to say so um you know and then the other part that i wanted to bring up too was i i go back to these legends clubs uh le legend induction ceremonies and I always found it fascinating that, you know, I would always, you'd introduce everybody before you got to whoever the current legends were of that year. Right. And you would talk about people who were in the room. Like I, I think about some of my favorite players like Paul Warfield and Greg Pruitt and Dick Ambrose and, um, you know, just all these guys that have played. And you always said Jim Brown's name last. Right. And I, I, I was at the point, probably the last time I did it, I, and I was just like, I don't even need to say his name. He is simply the greatest. 
Jim Brown. And, you know, we know him as media members and, and perhaps fans as well. The reception that he got in that room every year was respect and honor and thank you for paving the way for a lot of the players that are playing now. And, you know, it, it's one thing to hear from the fans. It's another thing to hear the media actually respect somebody. But when you see someone's peers respect him, the way Jim Brown was respected, it that's why he's the greatest to me. It's beyond just 100 yards a game. It's beyond just going to three championships. It's beyond being a part of that last championship team for the Browns. And when you see the people that he was around every day, um, it's hard not to forget about that impact when you see a player like that. And it's just, it, it's, it's, it's really, um, it's different. It's different than anything else I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't think we'll ever see another player like him. You know, this is someone who led the NFL in rushing in eight of his nine years that he was in the league. Um, you know, five of those years, he led the league in, in, uh, you know, touchdowns, um, name, a all whatever team right whether it was a decade or you know century 50th or 75th or 100th he's you know he's there um i i you know first guy to have 10,000 career yards um you mentioned he's the only player to average 104 yards rushing per game i mean and and that's a record that stands to this day um, and the way the game is now i can't see that being broken anytime I, soon i know I, I i don't um you look at the 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 franchise records that he still holds you know rushing yards rushing touchdowns total touchdowns uh most touchdowns in a season rushing yards in a season and keep by the way keep in mind jim brown did not get to play 17 games a year no Right. Yeah. Okay. And that's right. what makes some of this even, you know, that much more impressive that he uh, did it uh, in a uh, tumult during a, a tumultuous time in this country, right? In this country's history. Um, he did it with a compressed schedule, <laughs> fewer games, um, the travel conditions, not nearly as luxurious as they are today. Huh. Think uh, about that. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, he's the only non-quarterback in NFL history to win three MVPs in his career. Um, you know, when you think about, like, what else the Browns can do to honor him, and I, I do mean this with utmost respect, I don't know what else they can do to really honor him. He, they, he, they unveiled a statue outside the stadium. His number is retired. He's in the ring of honor. You know what well, I'm there's saying? a couple they, things there. I mean, there, there are two things, and, and they, and two well, or three my, things. Well, my point is, I, I guess the the beauty is he at least got to enjoy that recognition while still with us. He got to, you know, you tell the story about the ovations that he would get at the Legends dinners and, and alumni functions. I mean, he loved playing in the golf. I, I remember a couple of years ago when he was playing in the Browns golf outing and um like i saw him hit a tee shot and i was just like i i just man um i can't believe that at his age he just drills one right down the 
fairway. I mean, you want to talk about just like the perfect tee shot. <laughs> Jim Brown just absolutely smoked this golf ball. But um, yeah, it's, it, you know, his accomplishments on the field um, are incredible considering, again, the era in which he, he played in. And I just don't think that it's tough comparing today's players to Jim Brown. It just is, you know, I, Nick Chubb reminds me a little bit of Jim Brown. When you go yeah, back, you watch some of those videos of but, and, and it, it, Jim would seek out the contact. He'd bounce off the contact, the stiff arms, the spin moves out of tackles, the second and third gear when he'd hit an open field, right? I mean, those are all things we see from Nick Chubb. And it, look, I'm not comparing Nick Chubb to the greatness that is Jim Brown, but I do see a little of 32 in 24 when I when I watch him. I hear you. We're going to talk. I, I want to talk a little bit more about Jim Brown off the field, and we'll do that next when we come back. It's always game day in Cleveland. If you like what you're listening to and want to be a part of the show, hit us up on social media. Uh, at Game Day CLE on both Twitter and Instagram. It's always Game Day in Cleveland. It's always Game Day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. Again, if you like what you're listening to, subscribe to the podcast. Daryl, I, I also think that there are a lot of unknown stories about Jim Brown that people just really have no idea uh, about his outreach into the community beyond just football. And, you know, I had, I had the pleasure of working with Reggie Rucker and Jim, and I know things went sideways in the end on American with Reggie, but um, I, I do know that Reggie's respect for for Jim while they were doing American stuff and just trying to make the world a better place. I mean, they went to places where <clears throat> the police don't want to go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To go talk to kids and gangs, to talk about how there is more of a life than what you're doing here uh, in trying to survive with guns and drugs and, and all the things that <clears throat> sometimes will you know motivate a, a young person who is trying to better themselves in the world through the wrong way and incarceration. You know, he had talked about that and what, what that had, what that meant and how in a lot of ways that incarceration just is not helping, you know, you're trying to rehabilitate, but what happens when you put a lot of people that get in trouble is that they educate each other and that, you know, incarceration is not the way to rehabilitate. And, and Jim had talked about that, but, you know, more so that Reggie and Jim had gone into neighborhoods to talk to to talk to them and, you know, to talk to kids and gangs and, and troubled youth and trying to find the right path to success, you know, the right way. And, um, well, you know, I mean, the L.A. Watts riots, he Jim yeah. Brown was one of the people that stepped in and and for lack of a better way to put it, but he was instrumental in calming that situation down out there. Um, uh, you know, you mentioned he would go, he would not just go, uh, you know, to speak with gangs or it, 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 inner city schools, but he would go into the prisons where people were serving time and serving time for real crimes. Um, not, not petty crimes, but you know, the, you know, real crimes. And, and he would, uh, I call it minister just in my, in my view. And you, you do that kind of work to me, you're, you're, you're ministering. And, um, 
those were things that were very, very uh, important to him. And, um, you know, he, he stuck with it later in life as well. Um, he never really stopped doing that type of stuff. And, um, you know, that you have to think that that has a lasting impact. Yeah, so let's go back and talk, um, and we'll round out the podcast with this. What should the Browns do to honor Jim Brown moving forward? Well, I, I think I know what I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the easy layup will be they'll wear a commemorative patch on the jersey. Uh, they'll wear a a sticker on the back of the helmet. Uh, you know, probably matching the the patch or you know whatever you know something like that. Um. I've seen some suggest they should. Everyone should wear a thirty-two on the helmet. The old school thirty-two. Yeah, I just that 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 constitutes a major uniform change, and I just I'm not convinced that the National Football League would cooperate in that particular regard. Um, certainly, well, don't, and let me let me just backtrack. It was a it was a big deal when Al Lerner died when they put the AL on the side, right? And that was they a major... wore it on the sleeve. Yeah, and yeah. I, was I'm that a major? With you, they wore that thing for ten years. They wore it for ten years too long. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. With all due respect to Al Lerner, it, yeah, that little little long on the Al patch. Ten years is a bit much for Al Lerner, who let's not forget helped the Browns leave for Baltimore because he wanted the money from Mark Modell. Um, I always well, hated. Art owed him money though too. That's I know that's what I'm saying. I always yeah. hated that Al patch on on the uniforms for 10 years one year yes absolutely sure the rest of a season but to wear that thing for a decade was ridiculous um i i think they can paint something on the field for jim i i, I don't know necessarily at midfield would be the the right look but maybe you know paint the 32nd yard line marker paint that in gold all the way yeah. across, you know across the, all those hash you know the hash marks and the sideline sure. marks Although I don't know that they're going to be able to do that either, Daryl. Yeah, I mean, they can. They can. Yeah, they they can get that approved by the NFL. Are you saying on the short hashes or all the way across all, the field? All four lines, all gotcha. four hash lines. So the two sidelines and then hashes. the hash marks, all of sure. the thirty-two. Just you know, have those painted in gold instead of white. Maybe you put a special thirty-two there. Although that's kind of tough because you got the big thirty that goes there. Yeah, you'd almost there. have to miss the 30 and put 32 down. Yeah. That would constitute a field change. Yeah. Which occurred the NFL. I, I actually, Daryl, I think the slam dunk easy one is. Put the logo in the end zone. Uh, just rename it Jim Brown Field. I, I don't think that that's a big deal. It's not a selling rights issue. Yeah, it's it is. It's not. Yeah, well, no, it Cleveland Brown Stadium is. rights issue. Yeah, it is. So who's, but tell me another NFL team that's, that's I mean, that's got two named rights the field as one name and the stadium as another well and that's what they'd have to do i mean they would have to do insert corporate sponsor name stadium or or they'd have to go jim brown field at insert corporate name stadium that's it that's easy um yeah i'm not crazy about that why um i just think it's a bit much for a state now if you want to name it Jim Brown Stadium. That works for me. It's Cleveland. Now it's Cleveland Brown Stadium while they're trying to sell the naming rights to the thing. Right. Um, well, maybe it's Jim Brown Stadium for a year until they I, sell the naming rights. You know, I, I does just that cause more problems. Yeah, I I just think it it kind of complicates some things. Um, I kind of like my suggestions. I think they're kind of appropriate. Again, he already has a statue. He's right. in the Ring of Honor. 
His number has been retired for years and years and years and years. Um, I'm I'm sure there'll be, yeah, I'm sure they'll do a ceremony of some sort to honor him as well. Here's um, here, here's why. Hey, I you think know what? Maybe sure. here's one for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's upcoming right now. They call it the Cleveland Browns Foundation Golf Outing because mm-hmm. it's their annual charity. Then and, and and that money goes toward their uh, uh, their you know uh, stay in the game type uh, program. Right. You know their scholastic pro. What if you named it the Jim Brown Memorial Golf Outing? That's easy too. I mean, I, I don't think that's you know what I'm as, saying. Like, yeah, it's just not as impactful as Jim Brown Field. That's all. Yeah, I, I I also think that his relationship with the Haslam's might propel that a little well, bit. Well, his than his relationship would. with the Haslam's was night and day than what it was with the learners. It and, was up and down. It was a rodeo. I mean, it wasn't a rodeo. It was a roller coaster. Well, I mean, he, it, here's the other thing that I'm thinking. You know what it came for. down to? Hmm. Mike 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 Holmgren took the American funding away. That's what that came down to. And Jim was deeply disrespected by that. You know, one of Holmgren's things was he was trying to trim trim costs and maybe he should have trimmed a little off the 40 million dollar salary he got Did the learners really that. care about that though and like, i don't why would so. that i don't I, know I why that would have been a difference they, i i can't imagine they but and that's one of the biggest reasons why jim brown didn't show up to the ring of honor ceremony like the one good the only good thing that mike holmgren did when he was here was he had the ring of honor built uh for the for the hall of famers in the stadium that is the only and i do mean only good thing that uh mike holmgren did but in doing that he alienated jim brown um and so uh the 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 haslam's when they came back in um you know they to their credit judged jim on their own interaction and not what anyone external told them about jim and they said hey this is someone we need that we when you think cleveland browns you think jim brown we need him in is part of our organization and they you know made him a special advisor again and and uh you know basically an open door policy to be in berea anytime he wanted uh gave him an office um and, and like i said um the reverence when he came out onto the field. Anytime I saw Jim Brown, whether it was in the locker room or on that, on those fields out in Berea, the reverence that players who, by the way, these are the same players that didn't realize that the the Baltimore Ravens used to be the Cleveland Browns. Right. The same players had, they had that reverence uh, towards Jim Brown and you know what he meant not just to the sport of football but what he meant as far as clearing the path for them to be able uh to do what they do now um uh, and uh also uh the things that he did uh, off the field to try and you know better the african american and underserved communities uh not just in cleveland ohio but across the country. And, and so um, the Browns will do, so, do something. Uh, I guarantee you it will be magnificent. Um, but like I said earlier in the podcast, I, uh, I do think it's great that while he was with us, he got to 
enjoy the recognition, at least of having his number retired right, and right. having the statue. All right, let me let me leave you with this one last thought, Daryl. I was just glad that he was able to go to the NFL honors this year when they renamed the award for best running back to the Jim Brown award. So uh, I was thankful that he was able to do that. And I think that was the first time I was like, Oh boy, I, Jim, Jim's looked, uh, Jim struggled with walking and a few things and uh, you could see it slowed down, but uh, seeing him there that night made me appreciate everything that he had done for the city of Cleveland and, and for the Browns. It's always game day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder for our producer, Meredith game. Thanks for listening again. If you want to be a part of the show, all you need to do is hit us up on social media at game day CLE. Uh, thanks for listening. It's always game day in Cleveland.